Good morning. A couple of things before we get started. Uh, one is some of you have asked about the blinking light back there. I was hesitant to even bring it up because then that's all you'll notice. Um, but someone asked if it was an alarm of some sort. It is not. It's the fact that we have LEDs on incandescent dimmers. And so we are working on it to get that all taken care of across the board. Uh, the thing that bothered me is it wouldn't blink to the beat. Uh, and then another thing, and this for those of you who are here, if you're online and you're hearing this, you're probably already figured this out. But if not, if you know someone who's been trying to live stream uh, with us on YouTube, uh, I'm pretty sure about a month ago when I mentioned a letter of the Greek alphabet that rhymes with home icon, I think I got us in YouTube jail. There's some things you're not allowed to say. So when I talked about the hope that comes from the home icon variant, um, uh, they stopped live streaming us from that point forward. So we're working on it. We'll see what happens, what penance I have to pay to get out of YouTube jail. But if you know someone who's trying to stream via YouTube, um, ask them to go tell them it's working elsewhere, to tell them to go to our website and click the, the, uh, the streaming spot there, and it'll work just fine. We use BoxCast for that. So um, that's that. I, I'll find out what my penance is someday, and we'll see if I have to lash myself and come on it's a little funny that all right let's pray together almighty god we bless you and praise you thank you for who you are for all that you've done for us for all that you do in us and for all that you will do through us we thank you in advance for your work in and through our lives we don't always know what's coming and when we do ask you for help we don't always get what we want, but we do get what we need. So Lord, today as we talk through the second half of Matthew chapter 8, speak to your people. This is your message for us, not my message for them. And give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you would have us see, hear, and receive. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, through the power of your Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So, very familiar to most of you. Um, and uh, Matthew, something about Matthew that he adds, he, he, he's not one to add a bunch of details, um, but there's a difference in one of the stories we're going to talk about today and the recollection of that in Mark. Mark was the earliest of the Gospels, and we know that Matthew referred to what was out there in Mark, but he wanted to give a more complete, and he, was, he had more time, so he wanted to give a more complete understanding. Um, and in Mark, when Jesus goes across the Sea of Galilee and meets with a demoniac who gives the name of all the demons in him called Legion, uh, it's, it, he only, he's the spokesperson. There's only one person that's referred to in Mark. But we find out Matthew, who actually walked with Jesus and was uh, in the inner circle early on. Uh, Mark was a disciple of Peter, and, and, and Luke, uh, he was a disciple of Paul. Um, so they, they knew the stories, but they, didn't have, they, they weren't necessarily eyewitness accounts. Matthew was. So some of the things that he offers, uh, he usually gives generalities, but if it's specific, we can know that it's because he has personal testimony or personal witness of those things. So when you hear this story about Jesus casting the demons into pigs, um, and you hear it being two different people, it's the same story. It's just that, that Mark only talks about the, spokes, the one who spoke to Jesus. So uh, we're going to start off at, uh, at verse 18. And there's a, there's a, I'm going to have to read a, 
I'm going to have to read to you something from a commentator because it's very uncomfortable for me to stand up and not be able to tell you with, with reasonable assurance that I know what Jesus meant when he said something. And there's one of these times here that there's so many different philosophies of it. I'm just going to share with you the three primary um, theories as to what he meant. It reads like this. Get my glasses on so I can actually read it. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, a couple of things here. Um, you'll see it when he talks about the next person, uh, he says another disciple. So you've got the inner circle of Jesus, the 12, and then some other people that are really close, that, that when Jesus sends the crowds away, the group that follows Jesus, like when they all go across the Sea of Galilee, that group, um, those are... Those are disciples, but there's a bunch of people that kind of consider themselves disciples, and this is, this is one of them. And it says he's a teacher of the law. What that means is he's a scribe. And so that uh, he, he studied under a rabbi or a teacher or, or more than one to get his degrees. So think of someone who you know, and I don't mean this as a negative at all because this guy is very learned, but think of someone you know who has multiple graduate and postgraduate degrees. Think of, think of someone who, who, who's like a, a seminary professor that has, uh, that has a PhD in both the farewell discourse in the gospel according to John and in something, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Someone who's just really, really studied. This man, a teacher of the law, uh, comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus has... Uh, I don't know, it seems a little, little harsh, but he says, Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Now, Jesus isn't homeless, but he doesn't have a home. So he lives in places like Peter's home. He, he, he couch surfs, so to speak, but he's taken care of. He's not pushing a, a shopping cart around, um, you know, downtown Galilee. It's not like that. But so, so this guy has a professional desire, this teacher of the law. He sees that Jesus is gathering crowds. He sees and knows that Jesus is teaching things that are scriptural. So this man comes to Jesus and says, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you wherever you go. But Jesus is calling him out on it because the guy has kind of come to Jesus for his own benefit. There's this sense that, that he may have followed this rabbi, and once he, once he finished his apprentice program with one rabbi, he's now considered an expert in the scriptures, an expert in the law. But, but to, to find the next popular teacher to come under him, it just adds to his credibility that he's able to say, I've studied under Nicodemus, and I've studied under Jesus of Nazareth, and I've studied under whoever's going to come after that. But Jesus is letting him know that to follow Jesus, it's different than following other other rabbis. He's not going to end up with a nice institutional cushy job in an ivory tower where he gets to study and to preach and to teach and to disciple other people. That's not the cost of following Jesus is you give up everything. It's not going to be like you wanted it to be. And then he goes on. I mean, this is right before they get in the boat and they head over uh, to, to the Gadarenes, which is the Decapolis, which is across the Sea of Galilee, also known as Lake Gennesaret. It, it, but another guy says here, uh, Jesus replied, foxes have holes, birds, have, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me bury my father. But Jesus told him, 
follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, everyone, every commentator that I read this week would tell you that that was a colloquialism that Jesus is kind of, a saying of the day that he's kind of tweaking. Um, but what is the initial, uh, initial context, the, the, the original meaning of that saying that he's tweaking on? There's about three different, three different theories on what Jesus meant when he said it. So I'm just going to read them to you. Trying to understand Jesus' response has led to a number of explanations. Some think that the person's father has not yet died, and he wants to, st he wants to stay with him until then. Or perhaps he is returning to fulfill the second stage of burial by transferring the bones of his father a year after death to an ossuary. Still others look for the explanation in the metaphorical allusion in Jesus' language, such as, let those who are spiritually dead bury the physically dead. And then the other, well, there's the, the two that he's not yet dead. The other is that he is dead and he has these family customs. The reason this is a little bit confusing is because Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 15, he, he calls the Pharisees out. He's like, you, 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 you promise, you, you, the letter of the law you've changed so that you don't have to take care of your parents in their old years. And, 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 and there's this thing in the law that if, you're, if, if, a, if, if a relative of yours is dead, if they're in front of your face, so to speak, is how they put it, then you're exempt from saying the Shema, you're exempt from, from all the practices of the law until you've gone through the ritualistic uh, the right of burial. So Jesus does not contradict himself. So what he means exactly here, I don't know. But I do know this, Jesus doesn't contradict himself. And what he's saying to this man is, whatever you owe, whoever you are obligated to, whatever is going on culturally that is of utmost importance and the expectations that others have on you, you have to be willing to drop all of those if you're going to follow me. You have to be willing. It doesn't mean that he's going to ask you to give it up, but, but you have to be willing to give it all to him, to give it all away. You have to be willing to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. So he, he's saying to this man, look, whatever obligations you have, those come secondary. Now, keep in mind that his closest disciples are standing there with him. So he's saying to a very learned man, which would be really advantageous to Jesus and his followers, to have a learned teacher of the law come alongside and submit himself to the teaching of Jesus. It's also this other man, it'd be really good for them, more and more followers, more and more people to come along, more and more people that have, that have cultural and um, systemic authority. The more of them that can come along, if you're looking at it from human perspective, this is going to go good. This is going to go well for us. It's going to give us more credibility because we'll be able to say, well, someone who's studied under, and I'm just using that name, Nicodemus or Caiaphas is now working with us. And Jesus is saying, I don't want any of that. You have to be willing to give up everything to follow me. Remember the rich young man? I've kept all the commandments since I was a child. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, said, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me. And the guy walked away. He's saying the same thing. Exactly what that, what that let the dead bury their own dead means, I don't know. And then they get in the boat. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. 
The disciples went and woke him and said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Okay, a couple things. Lake Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, same, same thing. It's also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Um, it's a pretty big lake, but it's not like Lake Michigan. So sometimes it's hard for us to imagine that on a, on a, on a pretty big-sized lake, so think Lake Okeechobee in Florida, 30 miles across, 30 miles across. Um, you, it's hard to believe that there would be a storm that was so bad that it would, that it would take down a boat, especially with, with these boatsmen, these, these fishermen. They know their stuff. But where it's situated, it's just below sea level, and there's mountains all the way around it, and the wind would come over the, the mountains. If you've ever been to Colorado and suddenly there's this huge storm and these flash floods, same kind of thing. It has been recorded in, in modern times that some of the waves on Lake Gennesaret on the Sea of Galilee would get over seven feet tall. So the, the Greek word for the storm that came up here is the same word we would use for earthquake. So this is, this is significant, and it came up out of nowhere. It's just the the, the the pressure came over the mountains and it fell down. There's this microburst and boom. And his disciples are freaking out and Jesus is asleep. I would be freaking out too. And I would be astonished that someone could sleep through something like that. But I want to ask you to remember some, some lines from another passage in the Old Testament. From Jonah chapter 1. God, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and tells him to go to Nineveh, which is Iraq today, and, and preach against that city um, because he, he, God said that, that their wickedness has come to my attention. And Jonah hops, hops up, goes somewhere else, and he's going to get on a ship and go to Tarshish. So he's, God wants him to go preach to the enemy, to his enemy, the, well, the ones that Jonah hates. And Jonah says, uh-uh. And so he gets on a boat, he charters a boat, and he's getting up, and a big storm comes up. And Jonah's below decks asleep, and they come and say, they cast lots, da, 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 and they come and say, what, what is it that, how did you bring this calamity to us? And, and well, I'm, I'm fleeing from God, which he'd already told them. And, and, and they said, well, what do we got to do to get your God to calm this storm? And he says, throw me overboard. They're, they don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. They finally do it. And immediately the sea is calm. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that Matthew is telling, retelling the Jonah story because they didn't throw Jesus into the water, but there are some similarities, and it's something that all of the Jewish hearers would have been familiar with. The other time when God calmed a storm was with Jonah, and Jonah was trying not to go to, the God, to, to Jonah's enemies to preach the good news that God wants them to repent. The very same thing is going on here when Jesus gets in the boat and he's going across the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, when Jesus says to the, to the disciples, hey, it would be better to have a millstone tied around your foot or your leg and thrown into the abyss than to keep a little one from coming to me. The abyss is the Sea of Galilee. It's the place where the God of chaos lives. And they're headed to enemy territory. They're headed to the Gadarenes, to the Decapolis, to the, this area, this, this, this pagan area where demons rule. So Jesus, getting in a boat, is going to go preach to, that's their assumption, to the enemies, and they have to cross enemy territory to get there. And the God, not the God, but the God of the sea rises up and tries to kill him, tries to stop Jesus from going to the enemies of God's people to preach the good news to them. And so these men are not just afraid for their lives, they're also afraid 
for their souls. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus replied, you little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up. He rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? I want you to notice one thing, because it is possible, coincidentally, to, to stand up and to yell at the wind, and because you know how wind can be. It can gust and then stop, but not waves. If the wind rises up and pushes waves all around, they're up at seven footers, and the wind stops. So Jesus stands up and goes, hey, shh, the wind could stop coincidentally, serendipitously. It could, just, it could just stop. But those waves for another, I mean, think about it. Last time you got in a bathtub, when you, when you step out and you look back, that water's still moving around. It doesn't calm itself quickly. And if you're on a lake the size of Lake Okeechobee and, 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 and the storm comes up, those waves don't calm down right away. But the fact that Jesus could speak to wind and rebuke waves and immediately it's calm is utterly miraculous. And it says that Jesus is not only king of the Jews, he is king of the earth. He is king of creation. He is sovereign over the, de the demonic when he was tempted by Satan. He is sovereign over the teachers of the law. He is sovereign over all things Jewish, but he is also sovereign over the God of chaos over the, the created order. He can, because he was the one who made it, he can tweak it. It is unthinkable that someone could do what Jesus di just did. And it says here that they were amazed. Well, what kind of a man is this? Well, what's your answer for that? He's either God with skin on, or he's a magician 2,000 years ago, that was able to figure out how to calm a storm with no mechanic, with, with, with no machines, no mechanisms, no anything. He was able to, at the moment he spoke a word, he was able to make a clear glass sea. So either Jesus is who he claims to be, or you have to do gymnastics Mental, academic, and exegetical, which is, which is what the meaning of the text, how to, how to find the meaning of the text is exegesis. You have to do gymnastics to make it so that he is not who he claims to be. And then the very next thing, they get across the shore. Look at what happens here. When, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? The demons get him right every time. They know exactly who he is. They are the, in Mark and in Matthew, they are the best witnesses to the person of Jesus. What do you want with us, son of God? Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? That's a whole sermon in and of itself, but I'll leave it be for today. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came, out, uh, they came out and went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down a steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. 
Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus and celebrated the fact that he had rescued these two demoniacs who had brought terror. Not what it says, is it? The whole town went out to meet Jesus. Man, I wish that, that was the last line of this story. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Now, there is much going on. It is possible, and some commentators would tell you that this is what's going on. It is possible that this is a political statement as much as it is a miraculous statement. It is possible that the people that were, that were herding the pigs... They had pigs, which Jews hated pigs. They were considered to be unclean. If you came in contact with pigs, you were unclean. Um, but so it, it, the last thing in the world, it's the worst thing you could call another Jewish person is to call them a pig. It's possible that these people were raising these pigs, herding these pigs to feed the Roman soldiers of the area. The centurion with his hundred plus uh, soldiers that are over in the Decapolis. It's possible so that Jesus is saying, I'm even Lord over the provision of those who are against my people. Possible. It's also possible that Jesus is trying to let people know just how despicable the demonic hosts are, that they would want, they would choose rather than going back to hell where they belong, they would choose pigs, the vilest of creatures, to the Jews. Both of those or either of those things may be true, but here's the thing I want us to consider. Jesus casts out thousands of demons and sends them into a herd of pigs. And the pigs sacrifice themselves so they can be freed from the pigs to go infest others. No one celebrated that this, these two demoniacs who had terrorized everyone, no one celebrated the fact that they were free. No one celebrated that, that, that all, it said that no one could come by there. No one, people could not even pass by the tombs. No one celebrated that these two men now are free. And in the gospel, according to Mark, you'll see that the demoniac, the one that had legion, he asked to go back with Jesus and Jesus said, no, I want you to go home and I want you to tell everybody what happened. He became the first missionary of the New Testament. But here's the thing. Jesus is, last week we talked about him, all the disenfranchised persons, the people that you were allowed to hate. He, he healed three different types of people. They were actually people. I'm not, I'm not taking away from that. But, but he was saying to everyone, uh-uh, how you see the world is, is, is not how I see the world. And if you're going to follow me, you start looking at the world the way I do. And then he has two learned people that say, I want to follow you. And Jesus basically sends them away. If you're not willing to give up everything for me, then hmm. And then the disciples get into the boat and in the storm, the God of chaos of the, of, of the area starts to come up to swallow them, to take them to the abyss. And Jesus goes, shh. And he asks his disciples why they're afraid. Because we're about to die. It makes sense. And then it doesn't give any more commentary about it. And we're just over on the other side. And here's these, demon, these demons come to meet Jesus. And they get him right. And he sends them into pigs. 
And the story should spread. People, the whole town should hear about it and come to Jesus and go, free us all. But they don't. So a guy named, I want to give credit to this guy because I've never heard this saying and I love it. I hate it, but I love it. Paul Levertoff, uh, cited in a book called Tasker um, from, from uh, under the Gospel of Matthew, page 94, he says this, all down the ages, the world has been refusing Jesus because it prefers the pigs. See, any given sermon, any given devotional, any given pericope or section of scripture, any given one has the potential of not being what we wanted, of not communicating to us what we wanted God. Jesus isn't always who we want him to be. He is calling us to be who he wants us to be. So this poor demoniac who's now free has to go back to his home and tell everyone about Jesus, the person that others preferred pigs over. So I ask you the question. Last week, one of the questions was, who do we get to hate? Who do we still get to hate? Culturally speaking, Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. And here, we get three different things where people didn't get what they wanted. You get two disciples, two disciples that, that didn't get to follow Jesus because they weren't coming to him on his terms. They were coming to him on their terms. You get disciples who did not want to, to, to be caught up in a storm and have all of their fishing, vac- uh, their fishing vessel and all of their equipment drowned. And they wanted Jesus to help. And when he called, then he goes, shush. And so now they know that he is not only Lord over or the king of the Jews, but he's king of the universe. And then they go to a place, he does a miraculous thing, and the people choose the pigs. They didn't get what they wanted. The disciples didn't get what they wanted, and the would-be disciples didn't get what they wanted. So what is it that Jesus wants for you that you don't really want? Because sometimes his corrective words sting. but they're also comforting. I told you a couple of weeks ago about me being an idol factory that a year ago laying in my, on my prayer couch and Lord, all this pain, take it away. I'm suffering. And he goes, you're not suffering. Well, you're suffering because you're, you're focused on the pain. You can do pain. You've been doing pain since you were 17. That was very sharp. It stung. It was a double-edged sword, but he was right. So in our world today, when everyone's yelling at us, when, when there are certain things you cannot say, there are certain people you can't affiliate with, there are certain ways that we're not allowed to be anymore, are we asking who Jesus wants us to be? Are we willing to give up our comfort, our notoriety, our cultural norms, like the first two people that wanted to follow Jesus, are we willing to get in a boat that might kill us to go where Jesus would have us go? And are we people that when he gives us what we do not want, are we people that will choose the pigs? Or are we people 
that we'll get back in the boat and go wherever Jesus takes us. Because he doesn't always give us what we want. But he's God. We're not. So when you find yourself getting angry with things in our culture, in your anger, do not sin. When people are against you, pray for those who persecute you. And when people betray you, and I know this one well, I don't get to hate them. Even though Jesus did not give me what I wanted, he is teaching me what he wants for me. And I hope to God the same will be true of you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Matthew, this tax collector who gave up everything to record the works, the words, the life, the miracles, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, I pray truthfully, candidly, that you will make us all a bit more like Matthew, that would be willing to leave everything, to count it all as naught, to follow you and to love others the way you love them. Lord, please show us when we're about to choose the pigs so that we always choose you. In Jesus' name, through the power of the Spirit that lives within us, for the glory of God our Father, we pray. Amen.